Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome along to the VMTV Rugby Pod. Ian McKinley and Matt Williams alongside me. Ian, we normally start on Ireland, but I think it would only be fair to talk about Italy <laughs> and the heartbreaking draw. Sum it all up, Ian. You've got you've got your you've got the centre stage now. How long do you have, Stu? I mean, yeah, it's uh, I suppose years. we were fifteen years, fifteen years, and, <laughs> and the rest. Yeah, we. Um, I suppose we were lucky enough to to commentate on it it probably wasn't the, the the highest quality of international game you've seen but certainly uh, in terms of drama particularly in that sort of last five minutes you're you're not going to see a, a more exciting game I suppose uh, for the neutral and, and I suppose me with my Italian hat on you know I was obviously uh, delighted to see that uh, Italy put in a, a performance granted it was against uh, 14 men for uh, for 14 minutes and Francis I know we'll we'll, we'll get on to them and maybe their uh, decline I suppose since the the World Cup but um, there was a performance there uh, much improved from the Ireland one and yeah the whole talking point of the last kick with uh, Paolo Garbisi and how and how in the name can the ball whenever it's a, a covered roof you know the ball slip off the tee and uh, with the potential of three infringements from uh, the French team in the lead up to that last kick and hitting the post, it's sort of you, you couldn't you couldn't script it and in, in in a way that you could just write a book solely about that last five minutes. Even you know Matt saying off air there, you know France's decisions to you know to run with ball in hand uh, the whole time. Even more Fano when he gets the ball rebounded off the post, still looking to run inside their twenty-two. You know, it sort of uh, it had everything, but it's brought up huge, huge questions as well about the the shot clock uh, and everything like that. But it's uh, yeah, it uh, normally with the, with the Italian game, sometimes we can be a bit frustrated watching and commentating on them that there isn't much drama. But this uh, certainly had uh, had enough in spades. I'm sticking with you, and while we've got you, you're Paolo Garbisi. <laughs> Or Ian McKinley, should you have another opportunity oh. to win the match after that incident off the tee in the last yeah. play with the kick? Yeah, as opposed to the letter of the law, he he should have had another opportunity. I think you can, for me, I suppose you look at you know potentially the three infringements you know of two French players moving and and having uh, a water carrier there in the in, in the middle of it. But I suppose when you're, uh, I was sort of thinking back now. I didn't have a, a kick to to win an international game, maybe at, at, um, you know with Italy, but I was thinking back to my own days of kicking and had a you know um, an incident with with. Um, the Ospreys where something similar happened and my penalty conversion went up off the post and there was a the Ospreys winger that charged it and I got to, to to retake it but that came you know from me saying to the ref oh look he's he's moving but the referee sort of um being involved in that moment now in fairness to Christoph Ridley I thought throughout the game he, he was very good and got the majority of things right you know there is question marks could the TMO have come in or um probably more from my point of view could the you know, Italian players in that moment have just, you know, you talk about game management and game management is even in those scenarios, you know, you need a cool head and you can see when Manuel Zuliani went over the ball and everyone was so pumped up and, you know, it's, it isn't a gimme kick, you know, it's, um, you know, it's still, it is, it is central, but, you know, with all that pressure, you know, the goalposts can seem an awful lot thinner so um i know garbizi has come out and said he's he's apologized he doesn't he doesn't need to that's part of sport you know you 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 get them you sometimes don't get them and that's what you you train for but uh definitely if i was you know within the italian leadership rank you'd be definitely having a little word with the ref to say look they've charged a couple of times just to uh, just to make christoph ridley think i suppose but i suppose if we're to if we're to get into garbizi's head you know he has about 
you know, six seconds from when he puts the ball on the tee again to to make a kick. So if that shot clock runs down, you can only imagine what would be said or written about you if uh, if you ultimately didn't get that kick through. We've seen a few examples in the World Cup, you know, Farrell as well, you know, that the shot clock uh, ran dead. So imagine you had an opportunity to kick uh, a winning goal to beat France for the first time since been in the Six Nations away from home and, and you didn't complete that kick. So maybe, uh, I'm not in his head, but maybe that was going through his his thought process as well. Matt, Paulo Garbisi said, it's part of my job to put the kick over. I take full responsibility for that. I'm sorry for the team and all their supporters. It's my bad and I will work on it. Water carriers, players running at you, you must sympathise with them. Yeah, I definitely do. Um with, with any kicker that comes into that situation. You know, our, our, our sport is the ultimate team sport. You know, we have different size people for different positions, different physical uh, qualities to play the game. And, you know, then, and then, then it comes down to one person's individual skill. Um, and with the way our laws are, with penalties, you know, three points for a penalty, that's that's a lot in any sport when you only get five points for, for the try. So I, I do always feel for goal kickers. You know, I, I hate watching penalty shootouts in uh, soccer because I, I always feel sorry for the person that misses one. They got to carry that for the rest of their life. So oh, you don't, you don't, Matt. You don't, Matt. That's the excitement. That's the excitement. <laughs> I hate them. I can't watch. I don't. I don't. I don't like it anyway. But um, I don't watch much football these days. I haven't got time. But but Garbusi, look, I got to say. I fell for Ian. We're old mates, and we got a. I know Ian and I have a joke that he's got a bottle of champagne there that we're going to open when we have a good win. It's gathering dust. It's, it's been a while, mate, hasn't it? I'm getting a bit thirsty. So I wouldn't mind a glass of your champagne, but uh, we text each other every now and then with the jokes back in the fridge. But um, I thought that last 60 seconds, a bit on Ian's point, it was a it, it was a mad, mad last few minutes because if you consider it's. 13 all, and both teams wanted to win. Neither team wanted a draw. A draw was certainly not acceptable to the French, and the Italians wanted to win. So the French get the ball, and they're 30 metres from their try line, and it's close to full time. And I'm thinking, any error here is a penalty, and Italy can kick this. Why don't you kick it down the end of the field, the Italian end, because they're not going to kick it out because they want to win, but now the pressure's on them to play, and you can get a shot at goal. But the, the, the French kept playing and playing and playing. And here's the one really good point, or not one, but one of the really good points for the Italians was their defence in that game was really good. Like in the first half when uh, France had uh, 15 players in the field, they just pounded and pounded and pounded the Italian try line. And the Italians, to their credit, tackled their hearts out. Now, we only have to look back a few months to the World Cup Beating, beaten by almost 70 by the French at the World Cup and then 90 by the, the Kiwis. And the, their defensive efforts had fallen away ridiculously at the World Cup. And and they and again, against uh, Ireland, I thought they were quite poor in defence, but they did much, much better in that half. And the French should have been respected that, being a man down and kicked the ball. They didn't. But then when the Italians got the ball, I thought... There wasn't a lot of calm heads, as Ian said there. They pointed to the post straight away. So the clock starts straight away. They could have bought themselves a few seconds by just saying, oh, we'll make a decision in a moment, sir. Get your breath back. Uh, where's our captain? Who, who, you know, uh, it's, it's Michelle Lamaro, And, you know, saying, what are we doing? You just buy yourself 10 seconds of that time. They didn't. They pointed straight away. So the clock started while they were all still hugging each other because they'd done so well at the breakdown. That whole time I thought was poorly managed. And I agree with you. you. We put that much pressure on our officials to make like, things. There was so much happening. I, I really felt for them. I, I, I particularly felt for the Italians. I thought they deserved to win in the end there. But um, that's the game, isn't it? But by the by the stretch of a goalpost, they lose. and uh, it's, it's Well, they didn't lose. It was a draw. But I think both teams felt they lost the draw. Sometimes... Some teams feel they win the draw, but I think both teams could feel that they lost that draw that day. Matt, you're in France. Where does that leave Fabien Galtier? You know, if no Roman Intermac, Matthew Jalibert looks to be out for a few weeks. At least Thomas Ramos may come in at 10 for their next match. 
But in general, is the the pressure obviously is on him after that quarterfinal, but the start of the Six Nations hasn't worked out for him either. And which way do the public see it over there with Galtier? Well, well, Fabian, I'll tell you, first of all, I'll say in my opinion, Fabian Galtier is a fantastic coach. He's done a great job. But he is seen amongst the rugby community as Bernard Laporte's man. And there was a lot of resentment, which I think is wrong, again, uh, against Bernard Laporte and Fabian because they took time off the clubs. So in France, me, the clubs were first, the national team was second. So that decade before Galtier came in where the French were, were really poor, um, was wrong because the French never had poor players. But the, the French national teams didn't get anywhere near the time together that the Irish, Scots, Welsh and English got. They would be playing in before Galtier's time, they'd be playing this weekend back for their clubs. So they would play national clubs the week before. They would be playing for their clubs. There was no organisation, no camp, um, which is wrong for the French national team. And Galtier and Laporte, drag the French clubs into the 21st century. But they don't like it and they still don't like it. And there's politics going on, as we say, to get new presidents in that will work more for the clubs. So the knives are out for Galtier. I think it is very short, um, very short-sighted. Uh, there is every conspiracy theory you can imagine is being brought into play against him, saying the players don't want him and all this, which I do not believe is true. Um, my small interaction with any of the, the people involved in the national team is that they actually love Fabian Galtier, they love his coaching, and they think they've got a very good balance with, within that group. Um, but Fabian has been around for a long time, and look, when you're around a long time, the elite end of rugby, you get enemies as well as, as supporters. And Fabian has got some high-profile people that don't want him. I think that's a mistake. The media are going at him. Who do they blame? They blame the boss. That's the way it goes. Jonathan Dante's red card was ridiculous. That was Jonathan's fault, not anything to do with the coach. Paul Willems's red card against Ireland was Paul Willems's fault. He was ridiculous, but two ridiculous red cards. They are blaming the coach for that. We know Sean Evers is a great defensive coach. The French defensive line is so slow. And I personally know the attack coach, Patrick Ales, who I've worked with at Narbonne. He's a really good coach. He went to be head coach at Perpignan, got them up to first division, kept them in first division for three seasons. Really, that is hard work um, for a club that's got very little money. And I know he's, he's a very good attack-minded coach. He creates really good players. But we're seeing none of that right now. We're seeing great players like Gail Fiku, you know, drop off the scene. Merchant to hook it, really playing poorly. Uh, strange tactics. Um, we know that. So I, I'm at a bit of a loss within that French side, except to say I think they've lost a lot of confidence and belief. Uh, and they, they have dramatically uh, emotionally dropped their level. They're fragile emotionally. Uh, and th they are going to be um, they're going to be exposed. I don't want to talk too far forward, but right now where they are, they could be exposed going to Cardiff next week because they are, the, whole, the whole team is in a very, very bad place. Yeah, as you say, Wales in a couple of weeks' time and then England to finish off their championship. Ian, if we bring it back closer to home, you were there on Saturday, uh, no doubt doing your corporate stuff in, but uh, Ireland v Wales, the bonus point win. Throw, throw, throw um, me under the bus too. No, <laughs> that'll be edited. No, it won't. Uh, are we now, do we just come to expect that Ireland are now beating teams quite convincingly and just look so impressive? Or would you actually say they weren't at their best and they still got the bonus point win and it just shows how good they are? Yeah, probably for me, the uh, the latter. Um, sort of, I think the last... Two games in particular in the Aviva, there's been a lot of criticism, I suppose, of the atmosphere. But whenever both games have been finished realistically at half time, it is it's also hard for you know the crowd to get involved if, if you know that there isn't going to be an upset or even close to it. Um I mean it's Ireland are just so impressive. And if you're to, you know, Matt has articulated there how you know there's been the demise of France uh since the World Cup and they've just gotten worse, whereas Ireland you know, suffered just as a heartbreaking uh, exit from the World Cup, but they've just gone in a completely different direction. And I suppose what's been really impressive about them is that there has been these uh, little introduction of, you know, some players getting their first caps and getting their opportunities. And, 
you know, there was all this talk of, you know, who's going to replace Johnny Sexton and will Crowley be up to it? And, and everything just seems to be running like clockwork. You know, yes, it wasn't perfect uh, against Wales. I mean, it's always going to be a difficult, a difficult game against Wales. You know, they brought a, a huge amount of physicality Um, you know, uh, I thought their defence was probably one of their best defensive performances, even though they, they conceded what they conceded. But um, it, it, it does go to show where Irish rugby is, is that people obviously are not fully satisfied. And I suppose the players and the coaching staff won't be fully satisfied. They, you know, could have tagged on a few more, uh, a few more scores. But I think, you know, when you take a step back and you reflect and you look at the players that have been integrated and you look at the players that are getting uh, or coming to the, the fore, you know, Joe McCarthy and Crowley, as I've mentioned before, um, you know, and even Kieran Frawley playing a fullback, you know, Hugo Keenan is a is a world class player, uh, but it's just building layer upon layer, uh, which is only going to be a good thing for this Irish team going forward. But the the expectations are through the through the roof, and you know, you wouldn't, you, of course, you're not going to look too far ahead, and that group is is not going to that English game is 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 going to be a, a, a massive game, but they're so far ahead of the other teams. It's, it's really unbelievable, not just only in attacking rugby, but their defensive stuff, you know, their physicality, like they, they, they blew Wales out the door really in terms of their scrum, you know, their maul, everything. It's, um, there's just these little bits that have been added to, to, to each layer, which is just making them stronger and stronger. And it's a, it is a joy to watch, you know, as I should probably say it too many times as a supporter, as a supporter of rugby as a whole, what Ireland are doing at the moment in every facet of play um, is really something to behold. Now that obviously you'll always have this World Cup talk, you know, but you can only do what you can do in, in, in the meantime. And they're doing everything that they can and doing everything to the best of their ability. Matt, uh, Ian talked about how good off the ball and on the ball Ireland were. But you, I know on Sunday were particularly impressed in the highlights show about their defence, likes of Bundyaki, Tagburn, you can name Plenty of others making big turnovers at crucial points, yeah. but also on their own line, Ireland held up Wales and just looked so in control. Would that be right defensively? Yes, they they, they always, um, you know, we, we sometimes say defence is desperate, but that 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 word you used to, they're in control, they're physically aggressive, but they're also unbelievably determined to not let people dot down. And you saw that the last, almost the last play of the game, Wales are on. Uh, Wales, sorry, it wasn't the last play because we scored in the last play, but early, just before that, I think it was about a 76 minute mark. The game's won. Um, uh, Wales jamming on the Irish try line, and uh, Kian Healy and Kalen Doris both placed their bodies in an incredibly difficult position to hold the ball up over the line. And the stats are staggering, Stuart. The stats are unbelievable in this. And I, we, we brought them out last week. I, I, I really had to double-check this to see. It was just so incredible. After, in the last 13 Six Nations games, Ireland have only let in 13 tries. You don't have to be Albert Einstein to work out that's one per game. The next best, the next best is, is France. They've let in 28 more than double the number of tries. And they're, they're the, they've led the second least number of tries in. You're then going up into the high 30s for Wales, Scotland and England, and, and then 58 for, for the Italians. So let's, let's drop the Italians off. Between 28 and the high 30s, about 37 for, for, uh, 36 for England, but that, that, the gulf between what, what Ireland are doing defensively and what the rest of their competitors are doing. It's just what Ian said. It's extraordinary. And they're doing that in attack as well. Their attack, uh, you know, putting in Crowley, as Ian again uh, spoke about earlier, they've been seamless in attack. To me, Crowley's greatest assets are when he's in attack, his ball in hand. The things he's got to work on in my book are his kicking game. Now, he kicked beautifully on the weekend again off the tee. That's great. He's had one good, good game. One bad game, one good game off the tee. He needs to get that, keep that percentage going, and he's but his ball in hand stuff still needs work. But that's okay. He's a young player, and he's going to work at it. But his attack slotting into the Irish system of offense has been seamless. As has his defense. He's tackled really well. He's quite a big man and puts his body on the line. He's not scared. He does all that. 
But all those systems that Ireland have in place is what's making them great. Now, what 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 they'll work at over the weekend, over the week, is adding to those systems. The one area they're not dominating all the metrics, and if you look at their almost every single metric that we can measure, they're leading by a considerable margin. That's why they're winning. The one is penalties and discipline, as in they've given away more penalties than everyone in this tournament, which is very unlike them. But I do think um, the coaching staff sent out a pretty clear message. I think Joe McCarthy got substituted um, during the second half. He went into a line-out, jumped in the line-out and quite obviously grabbed the arm of the Welsh, uh, his Welsh opponent, which is a penalty. Ireland gave away penalty, penalty. Ty Byrne came back in and saved them from a try in that far corner. So Wales went the length of the field on the back of two penalties. And, and they, again, gave away far too many. So while it wasn't a perfect display by any stretch, there are things to work on. Ireland, we just can't, we, we're not making this up like rah-rah Ireland. This is statistics. This is evidence. They are in front of every other team by a long, long way. Uh, and and that, is, that is pretty remarkable, as Ian said, after the World Cup. And you spoke of him already, uh, Kieran Frawley, come in. Big responsibility on him taking Hugo Keenan shortly. Yet to see if Keenan will be fit for England, it looks likely. But Frawley was pretty good and he got that try and a big moment for him and also the Scaries fan club, which he came through as a youngster. Yeah, well, he's absolutely loved in his hometown, isn't he? Um, the, uh, the the team that I coach uh, in the north, you know, uh, plays against Scaries. So whenever you're down there, all you hear is uh, how wonderful Kieran Frawley is. And, you know, he, he comes across as a very humble hard-working lad and he sort of just you know he went about his business it's not his main position obviously 15 I mean he does a job there but he did everything uh you know if I'm to go back to what you said about me doing corporate stuff uh you know everyone asked everyone asked how is Kieran Frawley going to do today you know are we worried about the high ball are we worried about his positional skills he wasn't really caught out because he's such a naturally gifted uh, footballer, he can slot in seamlessly. Now, if Hugo Keenan is fit, Hugo Keenan is world class. It's the same as Kaylin Doris. If if they're both, uh, you know, uh, fit, you you play your world class players. But again, it's just adding to this uh, dimension. You know, I I personally would love to see him at ten. I really think he's got all the attributes to um, to play out half. I know he was unfortunate with injuries uh, down in New Zealand, and it was looking like he was going to. To potentially play. Um, Sorry know, to put he, in there. You'd like to see him at ten, but when and where? Yeah, I, I, think, um, I think. I think. Like I think. He, I think he's start. Got, no, I think he's got. Uh, he's got the attributes to definitely push for that position because I mean it's 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 a tricky one, isn't it? When you're when you're so uh, gifted, I suppose in a in a in a natural way that he is, you can fit across every almost every position across the back line. Um, but I definitely think he has the attributes to be able to play that position. It's just, it's obviously been in his home province of Leinster. You've got uh, you've got the Byrne brothers, you've got Sam Prendergast coming through and himself, you know, so it's, it's obviously going to be very difficult for him to uh, foresee him getting that opportunity that you need at 10, which we've seen Crowley get now down at Munster. And once you get that, it, it's such a vital position, you know, out half, to get just game after game. I know you, you might say that about every position, but in particular, if, if you're just able to feed, particularly in your formative years, you just need to be playing game after game after game to get a, a feel of the position, to get an understanding of how to be a, a link between the pack and the backs, to be that person that people look upon to make right calls and everything like that. I still think he he, he can push for that position. Um, you know, so, but but from a, from an Irish coaching standpoint to have someone like that that could you know equally play just as well at 15 is a wonderful thing to have uh, i mean I, I don't have a crystal ball to know where he's going to end up but i definitely from from what i've seen of him over the years he definitely has all the attributes for me to be able to compete uh in that position in the position of a half 100 matt um as a coach if kieran frawley comes to you on the monday morning and says Look, I scored a try. I thought it was pretty good. I was eight out of ten. Is that fair enough to say? Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, very solid. Yeah. So, and uh, Hugo Keenan starts against England. What does Andy Farrell say to him? Keep doing what you're doing, and you might get an opportunity soon. Or does he say, actually, 
a Kieran Frawley has to say, what position am I going to get more of a chance at? It's just, it seems to be a bit, I suppose, difficult for the guy. Is that fair enough? Yeah, we'll see if you, if if World Rugby came in and said you had to do a 5-3 bench, I'd say to him, young man, you'll be on in the last 15 minutes of the game. Put him on the bench. You couldn't help yourself. You couldn't help yourself. <laughs> just got to tell the truth. I'd put him on the bench. You'd have Connor Murray on the bench and you'd have Gary Ringrose and you'd have Kieran Frawley and you've got every position in the back line covered. He is a very valuable man. And even on a 6-2, Kieran probably gets, gets the nod because, again, he covers – he could play centre. We now know he can definitely play fullback and he's certainly a very good 10, as, as Ian's already told us. So, you know, and that, that to me is where Kieran is right now. And because of his injury profile over the last few years, he hasn't had that chance to grab a jersey and say it's mine. And Ian is, is really – you hit the nail on the head. When you're developing as a player, the biggest, the biggest asset you can have is playing. There's this great saying, the game is the greatest teacher of all. And as you play the game, it will, by its very nature, you will fail and you will succeed at certain areas. And you, if you can learn from that, you'll go forward. So he needs to play. Right now, as an international player, uh, you know whether, whether it's 23 or 22, that's his, that's his short-term future. And that's a good thing because he's in that top 23. Now, um, I'm not wishing Stuart McCluskey any, any, anything negative because I've got great respect for him. But Stuart is, is really a, a genuine inside centre and I'm not doing much else in, in the other positions. Uh, so that is, is probably a luxury Ireland don't have to play him on the bench. So I, And I suspect they'll go to England with a 6-2. Um, they won't go with a 6-3. And I don't know if they'll put Ringrose... Uh, on the bench or Frawley. If it was me, I'd probably go with Frawley because he covers so many other options. They may have ring rows there, but that, that's his short-term future. Back at Leinster, what does he do again? Well, that's, that's the problem, isn't it? You can't get in at 10. Uh, you, you, you can't get in at 15. And and you've got the two two of the best centres in the world playing there. It's it's just a, a, a an embarrassment of riches for Irish rugby, for Leinster and and the national team, it's, it, and it puts him in a really hard place um, to be competing against Henshaw, Ringrose, the, the three other tens, and and Hugo at fullback. You know, you know any other club, pretty much any other club in the world, with maybe the exception of the Crusaders, um, he, he'd be starting guaranteed starting in a, in a, a, a legend already. It's it's a very it's a great position for Irish rugby, but it's a tough position for Kieran. Matt, there's a club up the road 100 miles that might take them. It's called Ulster. I'd say they'd be delighted to have Karen Frawley. Well, I, I think Ulster would jump at him. And, and look, some of these players, like Prendergast, all these young guys, they're going to have to think about this. They, they, and, and Irish rugby, you know, New Zealand have a great system. A lot of people talk about it. They, they basically have an internal draft and you don't get much choice on the draft, you are told. Each team gets to pick so many of its first-team players and then whoever's left over, they move around so that they don't have a blockage of players. That has been proposed in Ireland. Uh, it's happening a little bit. You know, you've got Tygburn and, and Joey uh, Carberry famously went down to Munster. You've got a number of, of other, uh, uh, the other young Prendergast playing open side over in, in Connaught and some guys up north there we, we went a few years ago. Now, I, I think there is time for some of these, this backlog of tens and talented backs to move somewhere else. The problem they have is everyone wants to win and you can't blame them. And Leinster is a club that wins. Now, I'm not saying Munster isn't, but where where um, the North is at the moment, mate, I know I went there when I was stone motherless last. So I know <laughs> 10 years ago, I know where it is. Now, they're looking for a new coach. Who's it going to be? It's, it's difficult for players to make decisions in, in those times. But I, in principle, for me, I think that system should come into Ireland where they're, they're spreading the talent and making sure that we don't have players that are playing test that are in line to playing test rugby, not playing week to week with their problem. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. 
Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. In a final one on Ireland before we move on to Scotland. And England, Ireland go to Twickenham, what, 10 days' time or just over. I presume you have them at 10, 10 points, favourites. Is that Would that be right? Or do you think England will pose more threats than we have maybe seen so far in this championship? Marcus Smith might come back in, big boost for them if he's fit, or, or do you think it'll be closer than that? Well, I think you always have to base everything on the evidence that you've been given. And the evidence that we have been given so far after three rounds is that Ireland are so far ahead. And if you were to put it down in bookies terms, then yes, you would say that Ireland would be in and around 10 points. Um, You know, England will be hugely, obviously, disappointed from that game uh, against Scotland. They're going through a bit of a a new period uh, themselves, you know, with a with a with a revamp in their uh, coaching staff, and I think, you know, obviously traditionally in uh, in previous years, Ireland Twickenham was always seen as a, a daunting task. We're now in this new era now, where all these young Irish players, it is expected now to beat England, whether it's at home or away. Uh, you beat England, and Ireland seemed to. It's probably in the last sort of four years have found a way to get uh, around or through this English physicality. And that's why, particularly in that Wales game, they were, and even in the first game in France, they were so impressive in those physical battles that you would imagine that that Irish physicality will nullify what England are trying to do. Now, the big question is, can Ireland unlock this South African style uh, defence that England are uh, going with, which Felix Jones obviously has has brought over. And every sort of indicator would suggest that they can. I mean, it was proven in uh, in that World Cup group uh, game where Ireland won and were able to find soft edges. England are not at the minute anywhere near the races of what a South African defence is. South Africa, have obviously, uh, leading up to the, the World Cup, have been doing that for, for years. Uh, and there was total buy-in. You can still see that they're... Um, and even in the in the Scotland game, you think of the um, the first set piece try off the scrum with with, with Van der Merwe, how easy that was. You know Henry Slade, you know coming up too far ahead and trying to anticipate. Um, they're not quite there, England, and I suppose you wouldn't expect them to be uh, after such a short period of time with a new defensive coach. But there are they're they're giving so many opportunities uh, that you would envisage and imagine that an Irish team that can hurt you now with with the scrum, the mall, so that physical game off the ball and then with the ball, just the the numbers to the, the line is unbelievable. And when you're sort of sitting in the stadium, you know, compared to when you're watching it in television, you only see it in part uh, on the TV. But when you're at the stadium and you just see see the whole movement of the Irish attack, the flow and every option and the option taking within that, you would imagine that it would create a huge amount of difficulty for uh, for England. It'll be a titanic battle. It always is. Uh, the physicality levels would be through the roof, and England know that um, you know that they'll have to bring their A game to uh, to compete with Ireland. But uh, Ireland are just. <laughs> The, the only thing maybe going for against Ireland at the moment is overconfidence, but this group doesn't seem to have that. That Andy Farrell has a has has them on a tight leash with with any of that. They just get on to the next challenge, get on to the next uh, the next play, whether it's good or bad. They just stay stay in neutral and they're able to execute everything that they've planned, which is the the thing that's just so impressive by them. So you would go into that game with uh, with a huge amount of confidence. Mark, are uh, the media not the players are too concerned with the media or what the media thinks but are we uh, in Ireland too smug 
Like, do we come across as smug and like this is just another game and they win the Grand Slam? Or do you think it's all fair enough? Or is everyone too much above their station? Oh, I think some people can be, Stu. Um, definitely. Um, uh, but there's, there's two parts of this. Everything Ian said. Like, why, could, why couldn't England beat Ireland? Well, well, first, the first thing in in any sport is you don't want to beat yourself. And right now, England are booting themselves. So let's forget that Scotland. I'm not taking anything away from the Scots, please. Uh, there's 20 England turned over the ball 22 times in a Test match against Scotland. I mean, you cannot win if you are turning over the ball 22 times in a Test match. You will lose. It doesn't matter who you play. You will. You can't win that game. The next part is they then had the the lights the. Uh, Scotland scored three tries from English errors. So the fantastic Scottish uh, opening try from the scrum, and there were two great scrum tries, and it's wonderful to see all these scrum tries coming back into the game. Coaches are finally figuring out again what we've all known for 120 years, that scrums are the best attacking platform in the game. Scotland scored a magnificent scrum set-piece try because the, the English defensive system doesn't know what it's doing. They got disjointed and the Scots went straight through, scored a try. They give a shock. George Ford gave two terrible passes in that game. One, one of them hit um, George Furbank's head and he did a falcon straight into the Scottish hands. Vandermeer, length of the field, or 60 metres try. The other one was an uh, English line-out on about the halfway. Scotland win the ball. Uh, they, they make a, a break, cross-field kick from Finn Russell to Vandermeer a try. You, they're not going to beat anyone, let alone Ireland, if they keep beating themselves. So that's the first part. You come back to your story. If you show any disrespect at international rugby, it will disrespect you. But what it doesn't matter what we're saying out here. It's what's being said inside the Irish camp. And Ian's absolutely right. One of Andy Farrell's great attributes is the culture that he's built within that side. And... That team is a very humble team. They've never said a word that would say that they're arrogant. Uh, Peter Omani, I thought, spoke magnificently when someone said, is Wales a banana, could be a banana skin for you? And he, he stood the, the journo up and said well, that's very disrespectful to, to treat a Welsh national team like that. And I, I think within that team, they, they, are, they remain humble, but they also do what you must do at any elite end of sport and it is the cliche. But if you go more than one week ahead, you'll fail. And that's just – Ian knows that. We all know that. Because 80 minutes of test rugby is, is, is a test, right? It's not just a test of physicality. It's not just a test of tactics. It's a test of character and your mental approach. And that game against Wales, I, I don't think the, national, the Irish national team were mentally as focused as they should have been. And that's understandable. Now, he, let's remember – no one in the Six Nations period has won 10 games in a row each year. So to get back-to-back -back Grand Slams, you've got to win 10 games in a row, five home, five away. And that has proved humanly impossible over the last 25 years, so or 24 years. It, for a reason, it's bloody hard. So for Ireland to, to get the Grand Slam, they've got to be mentally focused like no other team in the professional era has been. So to go to Twickenham, it's easier at home. They've won 18 straight at home. But to go away to Twickenham, even with an English team that is poor, is a huge challenge. And this team will face that challenge. But some people are being arrogant, and I, I, and I don't like that at all. I find it very disrespectful. It's not something I, I would ever say. I am saying about Ireland that they are, again, on Ian's words, and the evidence we have can let us speak a little bit about this. And the evidence is England are booting themselves. And let me say, especially around their link at 10 and 12. That, that is the key for me to England. So you've got the new coaches coming, and this is why, to me, it's not working. They've got a cookie-cutter approach. This is my system from South Africa. This is my system in defence and my attacking system, Wiggleworth system from Leicester. We're going to push that on you. And I'm not sure they got the players the, play, the talent of the players is there to play those systems. 
you're much, much better to come in and say, what have we got here? What talent is out of of disposal? Let's design a system to maximise that talent. And right now, that's not happening in the English camp. And until they adapt their systems to say, what's our, how can we maximise the talent and, and, and uh, change our coaching to maximise the talent, I think they're going to continue to have a hard time. If they play anything like what they've done so far in the championship, uh, it won't be enough to beat Ireland. But the Irish players will have respect, and that's, that's what counts. If the media get a bit carried away, well, that's, that's the media's uh, problem. But I don't think that problem's going to exist in the men that wear the green jersey. Fair enough. I think it'll be closer than 10 points, but hey, no one cares what I think. Right, moving on to Scotland and England. Okay, Stewie. Okay. Yeah. We do, Stewie. Don't worry. We do. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm not too concerned either. Uh, we move on to Scotland and England, even though we've touched on England. Must talk about Finn Russell. I know everyone's been pretty impressed over the last couple of weeks. Yes, his maturity or his control. But is that the biggest difference you've seen in compared to maybe Finn Russell? a year or two years ago. I know we talked about that Lions, or we have previously, about his performance in the third test in the Lions. But in general, how would you sum up Finn Russell at the moment? Uh, yeah, well, I think he's he's been put in the spotlight a bit more after this whole Netflix messy comment and all you see in Murrayfield is messy jerseys with, uh, you know, Russell written on it. So he he's... He's always always going to be in the spotlight, isn't he? That's the type of, uh, I won't say character, but that's just the way he plays the game. You know, he, he, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. I think, um, obviously, with all the, the the issues in years gone by with Townsend, that's all been well and truly put to bed. And you can clearly see now that there is a collective effort between uh, the two of them in particular. And I think he's certainly a player who is embracing uh, having this leadership role. So having the extra uh, buffer, I suppose, of being a captain. And he, yeah, I mean, yes, you can call it maturity, you can call it composure, but he's he's definitely leading this uh, Scottish team uh, on a different level than he has uh, previously. You know, of course, he gets some things wrong. You know, in a couple of the games, he gets, you know, charged down kick or whatever, but it's always backed up with some with some form of brilliance and um you know his, his try assists that he, he he brings to the scottish team his goal kicking uh you know he joked about in his interview with uh it was with bbc after one of the games and, and how he's shooting only maybe i think at 60 percent with bath but whatever he's doing in a scottish jersey you know that that shows in itself a huge amount of uh self-comfort confidence uh whenever you're striking the ball like that to uh to have such a record that he has at the moment shows where he is at the moment. And he just seems very assured uh, in himself. And whether that is getting that little bit of, of a buffer from Townsend to say, you're, as well as Darge, you are the person to bring this team forward. And some people rise to that. And he certainly seems to be doing it. And it's, it's only to the benefit of, of us uh, watching the tournament, but also Scotland, because we know we know how important Finn Russell uh, is to a to a Scottish team. Whenever you've got, like I said before, when you have a Hugo Keenan, Caelan Doris, your your world class players, you you play your world class players, and you want your world class players performing at the top of their ability. And he just seems to have gone up that little bit of an extra gear, uh, and everything just seems to be clicking uh, for him at the moment. And Matt, someone who's on his shoulder all the time. Scoring a hat-trick at the weekend, Dion van der Merwe, or van der Lomo, as you call him, Matt. You quite like that one. He's got six tries in four games against England and also a couple more in the championship. I think it's five. How impressed have you been with him? And coming to Dublin in round five, you know, he's a hard man to stop and Ireland will be very wary of him. He's boosted at the moment in great form. Unbelievably powerful athlete. Big man. But so, so quick. Uh, just... Yeah, you know, I think I said I'd, when the great uh, coach having coached against the great John Alamo, he's still the greatest ball carrier I've ever seen. But what, what made him so dangerous was his relationship with Carlos Spencer, who was a ten. Carlos was a genius out half, and when you put the two of them together, you, you know they were a nightmare. But all you could do was applaud because they they played the game so beautifully, and Lomu would follow Carlos Spencer around. Like a like a dog with its owner, and and Jonah was off his hip, time and time and time again. And Carlos would create space for him. It just made it impo- literally 
truly, and I use this word, impossible to defend. He was impossible to defend when, when Spencer did that. And these two are reminding me of that relationship. So often we hear in the commentary, we just hear the, the names Russell and Vernemoa straight after each other. And, um, you know, in the first opening games, opening game at uh, uh, Cardiff, you know, three of the tries were, were, were that. We just said, you know, there's Vandermeer, there there is 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 Finn, uh, Finn Russell, then there's Vandermeer again on the weekend, the crossfield kick. He, he he is superb, and interestingly, in that great Scottish try that they scored, they stood Finn Russell and Vandermeer shoulder to shoulder behind the scrum, and they were the decoys. They didn't get the ball till uh, the, it went. It went straight across to uh, Tupalutu in the centres. But they were the decoys that held the back row, the nine and the ten, that created the space for Jones to, to get through. So it's not just us that's aware of it. Um, but but it, 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 it's, it's a joy to watch, isn't it? I mean, Scotland are playing great rugby. And what was interesting about the weekend was they played 80 minutes of pretty solid rugby. And that's the first time they've done that this championship. Uh, I think like Ireland... They've taken a step up from the World Cup, where France have taken a significant step backwards. The Scots have taken a step forward. They still were uh, have been um, inconsistent in, in the opening two games, much better last week. They've got Italy away. I don't know how that will go, but that, they seem to be better. Now, now we, we spoke about – I'll put a little top on that. I want to m- mention the other captain, which is Rory Daj. I, I think this, this combination – of, of leadership that um, Greg has put together is for a reason. Daj looks like the the, the mirror image of uh, of Finn Russell. I know Finn was was joking when he said he was a messy, and now I, I, it's one of those jokes that I'm, a lot of people are getting. A lot of people say, "Oh, that's you know he's having himself on." He was joking. We all know he was joking at his tongue and his cheek, and it was it was quite funny. But Finn also said he doesn't like training, and that's quite obvious. We we know that he's not the greatest trainer in the world where Daj looks like the exact opposite. He's the guy that's pumping the weights in the gym. If you do some running and you pull up an inch short of the line, he's the guy on your back. He's a workaholic in the field, and he would be the leader that's in your ear and setting standards and saying, don't let me down, whereas Finn's a creative genius. you just got to give him his space. But also Finn has reacted to that. He's spoken really well after the games. We use that word humble. Sometimes the Scots have come out in the past and, and said, oh, we're going to win the championship, we're going to do this. And everyone's going, well, don't say that. Just just speak quietly. And and Finn has spoken really well after the games. When the, the, the decision against them in the last minute went against them in the French game, they should have won that game. Finn came out and said, well, don't blame the referee. We, sh- we let that game slip. And he was right. And he has spoken so humbly and so well. I think that is setting a great tone, along with the example that Daj is setting at training and the, and the standards they're both setting, I think, Gregor Townsend deserves credit for that uh, for that uh, leadership in uh, decision in leadership, and I think it's working for the benefit of the Scottish team. In a final one before we wrap up, sticking with number tens, if Marcus Smith is fit and George Ford's still there, and you were Steve Borthwick, which way would you go for Ireland? Uh, yeah, easy one, um, mate. easy one to finish. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Stu. I thought we were wrapping up after that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, I think George Ford was uh, immense in the World Cup. And even though England's sort of negative kicking tactics, you know, uh, suited probably, I won't say his style, but just him able to get drop goal after drop goal or pinning teams back seemed to work. It's not clicking at all at the moment. And he's definitely um, not on form uh, at the moment. Do I think Marcus Smith will slot straight back in? I don't think so. I think, um, you know, he, he could be good for a, a bench spot. I know he's electrifying. He can create something out of nothing. It was interesting how England, when he was fit, was using a more 15. I, I, I don't think that's his position. We've mentioned Frawley beforehand. Been able to play that. I don't think that's Marcus Smith. Um, I think Borthwick will still stick with... Uh, that forward option, um, just because of 
the experience that he has and i'm sure uh, i just want to pick up a little bit on what matt said you know with with the media and being humble you know i grew up in the 90s and <laughs> i remember particularly 93 94 when ireland went back to back against england uh lansdowne road 93 famous mick galway try and 94 with that simon gagan try in twickenham you would have always loved you know the english coming over or the english media saying that this isn't going to be a game you know so that's 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 the exact same thing i suppose that you don't want to fall into that trap and with that i suppose that Borthwick is just going to he's probably he's going to stick to what he what he knows and what he knows is putting pressure on uh, at set piece that's scrum that's mall and if you've got George Ford even though he's not playing uh, his best rugby at the moment he's still a very very accomplished uh, kicker in world rugby so I'm sure that he will still stick with them and if they need to change things up if the game is slightly getting away from him then Marcus Smith on the bench you you you, you get him on and maybe he can create a bit of magic Matt, just quickly, do you agree with him there? Ford to start Smith on the bench? Yeah, look, I, I'm I'm sorry to say that I I, I remain a sceptic at international level about Marcus Smith. Um, he, he needs coaching at international level because what he's great at is taking the ball to the line and then passing. He, you know, he Mark, if Marcus Smith was in Ireland, he'd be playing 10 for Ireland because he is brilliant at taking the ball to the line. He's a threat and passing. That is not the way England can play at the moment. He's never done that in a white jersey. He's done it in a Harlequins jersey. He just doesn't do it in a white jersey. So, again, this is my point. They're trying to play an attacking system, and I'm not sure they have the skill skills there to do it. Smith does do it, but what does that do to the rest of their game? The only reason they're getting points is, is off the boot. They scored one good try. I'll give them that. It was a great try off the scrum. And this is my point. I think they are lost at 10 and 12. They are lost, and you you know you if, if you don't know who your best ten is because he's going to he's going to implement your game plan the best he can. You know Sexton implements the game plan, and and now Jack is implementing the game plan for Ireland. Does George Ford implement that game plan? Well, he didn't do a very he hasn't done a very good job since the World Cup. Can Marcus Smith do it? Whoa, that's a big question. So I I, I don't know. I probably if it was me. And I'd be covering my own backside right now. Win the game. I don't care what it looks like. Win the game. Ford goes in. We're going to kick. We're going to go back. And we're going to beat Ireland. That's going to save our skin. That's what I would do. I don't know if if England will do that. But the way they are playing at the moment, if they play the same way, they're going to lose. So I expect some form of change from England before they get to Twickenham because what they're doing is not working. Well, that's going to be fascinating. Matt and Ian, thanks for your time. Don't forget, we'll be back next week to preview round four. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 